Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. We're honored this morning to have our good friends, and I don't say that lightly, Pastor Mato and Connie from Italy. Let's give them a warm welcome as he comes up. It's all yours. Oh, whatever you like. Okay. You got it, Mato. I was checking with Connie if she wanted to say something. Do you want to say something? You're, you're never really sure if when your husband says, do you want to do this, if you should say, yeah, no. So I gave the answer that most of us good wives, well, whatever you want, honey. Do you want me to come up? Oh, yeah, because when you ask something, it's clear. Like, how do these pants fit? That's an obvious answer for me to give, right? Like, unlike you, when, if I say you want to come up, it's, it's free. Yes or no will suffice and just do but it. But the proper answer is, well, whatever you want, sweetheart. I'll do whatever you want. <laughs> So good. It is so good to be here at uh, Windsor, at your church. Um, my family and I, we just so much enjoy coming here. You know, uh, when we always thank Pastor Rick and Kathy for allowing us to come and spend a little part of our summer with all of you. Uh, it's 22 years that we've been on the mission field, and it's kind of like 22 years that we've been coming home here and as I go around the building it's always exciting to see the expansion and to hear the glorious stories from your pastors where you've been what you've done this is truly a missions church and let's not forget the ones that do not know Jesus as their personal savior and lord around the world we may be comfortable over here but there is a world to conquer for Jesus and we're so thankful for your pastors because they have that heart to reach the world and so we feel honored and privileged to come back and see all of you old friends new friends in between friends the children that have been growing up here and I just love to come and see the expansion of your ministry and so thank you for your prayers your support we could never do everything that we are doing on the mission field without your faithful prayerful financial support and it's truly an honor to come back and visit with you all amen we love you dearly with all of our hearts thank you pastor rick and kathleen <clears throat> stay here don't <clears throat> i can finally clear my throat i was choking that because if i clear my throat while she was speaking she'd look at me and say is that a signal that i have to stop or something <sighs> i was stuck right here <sighs> okay so we were on our way to Venice a few years ago, and uh, Pastor Rick and I, and uh, Pastor Kathy and Connie, and uh, Rick brought a nice ciabatta. That's the big uh, bread like this, and beautiful anchovies. Remember, anchovies. The hairier they are, the better. A real pizza has 
double anchovies. Extra sauce, onions and hot peppers. Do you know when I ordered that here, they called me back to make sure it's not a joke? <laughs> they do. They go, did you order this? I say, yeah, I did. I ordered it, yeah. And, and then when we opened it and we started to eat, uh, you know, we, well, we were, we were like in heaven, Pastor Rick and I, but Kathy and Connie, they go, oh, what's that? No, okay. It's just disgusting. I have a scripture for this. <laughs> It's right here in the Bible. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. To those who are perishing were a deadful smell of death and doom. That's what it says. But to those who are being saved, it's a life-giving perfume. <laughs> it's Second Corinthians. I didn't make it up. 2, 16. Now, okay. It's talking about the preaching of the gospel, but I'm just stretching. I'm talking about anchovies, you know. Apply, and, and it's really good. And, and you better get ready because you're heading for a wedding, the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's going to be plenty of anchovies there. And, and, the, uh, and the chef is going to be Italian in heaven. You know that, right? Yeah, it is. If, if the chef is not Italian, it's not heaven. Don't tell me the chef will be German. That's in purgatory. And don't even mention the French, because that's hell. <laughs> no, no, no. He's, listen close, he's only kidding. It's, it's a joke. It's only. Yeah. She's trying to rescue the offering for all the Germans and French here. She's trying to say, well, there goes half the offering. Yeah. No, I, I am joking. But the problem with the French is that they think they're the best cook, but they're not. The Italians are. We really are. Anyway. Again, he's, okay. only, he's kidding. only kidding. There you go. He's only kidding. Okay, it's here. So, will you take this macaroni? Yes. Don't open it. I won't. Same because I'm taking this home, and at home we're gonna get a ciabatta. And we're gonna eat it, and it's beautiful. Only if Pastor oh. Rick comes. <laughs> Thank you for everything that you do for Good News Ministries. Amen. Our our three daughters are here. If you want to say hi to them, they can stand up. La, Laura, Debbie, and Sarah. There they are. Stand up. Look at them. Oh, yeah. There are three Mediterranean beauties inside and outside. Uh, and and uh, I'm, I'm just so glad that they're here. Um, amen. Are you ready? God is good, isn't he? So I wanted to start with, uh, if we can put the map up, that'd be good. Just a little thought about where we are and what we're doing and what we're ministering. We heard uh, wonderful reports about uh, uh, how this church was involved in uh, South America and the great meetings that you had there and how much seed you, you've sown there. And uh, Windsor is a, is a great missionary church, evangelical church, evangelistic that reaches people and thinks about the nations of the world. And uh, when we come here, I mean, we come home, our, our daughters have grown up, you know, in, in our early trips here. Every time we come, you know, the, 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 we went to Italy, they were little now. Some of them weren't even born. And now, you know, they're growing up. And we've known um, Pastor Kathy for like 40 years and uh, Pastor Rick for about 34, 35. That's like a lifetime, you know. And uh, that, 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 that's a... That's a that's a friendship, a deep relationship. And uh, 
so what I'm saying is that when we come here, we come home. And, uh, and, and so uh, you have seed all over the world, and we represent this part of the world, which is rather unique even in, in, in its geography of where God sent us. This, this is known as the Mediterranean Basin. And uh, it's uh, made up of Northern Africa and then uh, Southern Europe. And if you see Italy, of course, you recognize the boot right in the middle. <clears throat> and that's where we are, right there. And uh, if you see uh, the island at the bottom is Sicily, and if you see Libya, you see where Libya is? Uh, all these uh, desperate people, and the, and the majority of them are desperate people, refugees, who are looking for a future, and because if they stay there, they will die. You can't really go by the news, you know. You have to live this. And uh, they, they try that journey, which is perilous. It's like uh, the Cuban used to do decades ago, from Cuba to Miami, right? So they come there, and uh, <clears throat> over there is where they first land, and our government does the best that it, that it can in Italy. They, you know, they, they give them a checkup, and they treat them humanely. They treat them good, and they feed them, but then they let them go. And that's where the churches come in. We have uh, our biggest uh, uh, work is down in Sicily. Your pastor has seen these churches. And we, have, uh, we, we had um, uh, several families that joined the churches. One family in particular, thinking of, joined Pino's church, Pastor Pino's church. And, you know, they're giving them a future, integrating them and, and helping them to, uh, to live a life of blessing in, uh, in Europe. Um, two years ago, no, I think it was last year, we baptized our first Muslim family, uh, Pastor Rick. And uh, you understand that I go real tender with that because people are not objects and people are not notches in our belts, you know, and they're not newsletter articles, right? These are souls, you know, it's not like they're prizes to, we got to be real delicate with that, right? But I say it because she uh, did a video, the wife did a video, it's a phenomenal video, they were practicing Muslims and she came to Jesus and the family came to Jesus and the family came to Jesus and they're active in church and they're involved and it's really a beautiful story. And uh, I think that, uh, uh, you know, um, we cannot go, I cannot go, you know, to Libya or Algeria or uh, you know, Iraq, and open a church. I would if I could. <clears throat> but they're coming to us where we are in Europe. And so we're going to bring them to Jesus. And I know that God will do what, what he's done with us, you know, that uh, we were born in Italy, and then God sent us back to that part of the world to, to preach the gospel. I know that God will do the same with, uh, with them after they get saved. I'm already hearing comments like that, you know, Jesus changed my life so much that I need to go back and tell the people where I came from, where I grew up about Jesus. And I think that that is the best strategy for missions. Because missions is changing. You know, I know it would look good in a newsletter if I went to Algiers, you know, and rented a hall and then had a meeting and took pictures and three people got saved. But don't you think it's better if we can get some Algerians to preach the Gospels? And so you think there is, there's Morocco, there's Algeria, there's Libya, there's Tunisia, and Egypt, and Syria, and Turkey. And then that's the southern African part. And notice that so 
we are your hub into that part of the world. A direct, straight hub, no red tape, nothing like that, that what we do, then we're just there, we're right on the ground to help with uh, whatever is needed. And then we're starting to reach out into Spain and France and Switzerland. I'm going up the arc now. And uh, Germany and the former Yugoslavia, new contacts are propping up all the time. And so now I'm in a transition in my life where twice a month I'm in the church uh, in Verona, the home church, the mother church, and twice a month I'm away and the church is ready for that and they're fine with that. And we have a team in place. And, and that's what I'll be doing. Sometimes I'll be preaching in Canada, but, and then sometimes I'll be preaching in, in, in Bulgaria, in Romania, in uh, Greece. I have invitations that I, I have had to postpone for years because we weren't ready and the time wasn't right, and now we can. And most of the invitations have to do with this, have to me going in, a, going in a church and staying there with the pastor and working for several days with the pastor and the leader. So, you know, Sunday, come and minister and then stay Monday and Tuesday to work with the leadership. And really that is the way to transform cities and to transform nations, is to work with the local people. So it's not about, you know, coming with a trunk full of Bibles translated in a language. That's dangerous for those who travel, and it's dangerous most of all for those who come and pick you up. Because, you know, probably they, if they catch me, they'll just ship me back on an airplane to where I came from. But the people that come to pick us up, they're in danger. We can hurt them and harm them. And, you know, they have a way of figuring out who's meeting you. And so that's just the, the strategy. And this part of the world right here is the least evangelized part of the world right now. There's more happening in, uh, in North America, more happening in South America, more, more happening in Southern Africa. You know that whole nations are becoming openly Christians in, in Southern Africa. Do you know that? Look at the trend. North America and Europe, which are on a parallel secular trend, are trying to eliminate, and mostly have eliminated God, prayer, right and wrong, commandment and morality from government and school, public schools, and so on, and public places. Other nations have tried that. It didn't work for them, and they're becoming Christian. <laughs> and that's something, and they're embracing the gospel. And uh, so that's what we're doing. So when you help us, uh, uh, you're not, you know, helping me pay the rent in the church in Verona because the tithes and the offerings of the people do that. What you're helping me do is you're helping me travel. Most of the churches I travel to uh, couldn't afford to, to keep a, a pastor for three days. I'm not saying me because I cost. I'm saying any pastor. They couldn't afford to, you know, keep him there for three days. And so we go and I say, no, there's no problem. If God tells me to go, I go because I have partners who help me in other parts of the world, and that's why they bless me, so that I can go and I take care of the hotel and I can take care of my travel and I can go and I can bless the pastor. You know, I believe in a few years it'll start to sow. I'll get around to teaching. But you understand, that's not the first thing you say, you know, give an offering. When you go, you have to talk about other things and then gradually you come around to that too. And you help us uh, translate books. We've translated uh, uh, 60 books. And, and you're helping us run the Bible schools and raise up pastors and train up leaders. So thank you for that. Thank you for your help. Uh, we appreciate it. Speaking of books, after 36 years of translating other people's books, and we're glad to do it and we'll still keep on doing, 
by the grace of God, I wrote my first book. That's my first book right here. Here it is. You see a picture of it? It's called Fearless in the Light. I'm going to preach out of it this, uh, this morning. And uh, uh, the subtitle is Staying Calm in Today's Anxious World. <clears throat> the author is Max Gergenti. That's me. I didn't make it up. My, uh, that my, my full name is Mauro Massimo, which is Max, right? Giorgenti. And uh, I, it is not a ghost. I wrote this with God's help. I didn't, somebody didn't listen to my series of tapes and then, you know, made a book out of it. I sat down, I prayed, and then behind the computer, whatever God inspired, I wrote down and I put it down. And uh, there's, a, there's a story the way this book was born that I'm going to tell you now. And in fact, let's go to Psalm 27. Let's start. Go to the Word. We're just so glad to be here this morning. We love you guys. So I got to switch from the Second Corinthians, uh, the sweet smelling aroma scripture. <laughs> and we're going to Psalm 27. Oh, that was, by the way, a real twisted scripture. You know that, right? Can you make the difference between my crazy comments and... Uh, and, and, and the Bible, the Word, right? <laughs> sound teaching. All right. We're going to do sound teaching now. Uh, Glory, do you, like, do you like Pastor Rick's shirt? See, that's our friendship, crazy and sober. I have a nice, dignified salmon, monocolor shirt, like God commands. He's got these crazy, crazy shirt, crazy socks. This is while I'm having, this is while I'm having a muffin, right? So I have a picture in my mind now that I don't want to have, that I'm trying to get rid of and trying to cast out. And my wife is telling me to move on. <laughs> Amen. You ready? Psalm 27. Here we go. Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You want to answer that? Say, say nobody. nobody. And then the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What's the answer to that? Okay, now when you say it, you got to say it like you really mean it. Go ahead. Like you're convinced. You got, you got, you got to give me some attitude. You got to have somebody. You got to say, nobody. You got to get the head in there, a bit of the shoulder, a bit. Nobody. You got to pull out the Italian in you. Oh. And, and this is not, this is sound doctrine because if you see, how many of you have a New King James Bible that you're reading? Okay, you see the title, the heading in, in, in bold there. Do you see what, what they put? They put, what, what do they say? Say it out loud. Okay, an exuberant declaration of faith. Do you see that? Exuberant. So the, 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 the translators of the New King James entitled this an exuberant declaration of faith. Exuberant is like, you've seen that exuberance. You know what exuberance is. And exuberant is that a person is just like going over the top. So they got it. This is David's over the top declaration 
of faith and trust in God in the midst of a whole lot of problems. And so he is saying this with attitude. He's saying, nobody, I'm afraid of no one. And we're just going to keep on reading and then, then we'll get to the PowerPoint. And so it's important to say like that because this whole added, look at verse 2, it says, when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. So it's not, it wasn't me. They came to make me fall, but in the end they fell. I didn't fall, they fell. And then he says in verse 3, and though an army may encamp against me, my heart will not fear. And though war may rise against me, in this, I will be confident. Do you see the in your face? It's like in your face. It is exuberant. It is over the top. It's like devil, you know, I'm dealing with anxiety. I'm dealing with fear. I'm dealing with people who don't like me. I'm dealing with armies. I'm dealing with war. There's like all around me. And he's saying, come on, no matter what you throw at me, I'm not afraid. And I'm going to be confident. Come on, I'm confident. What else do you have? What else do you have? Bring it on. That's the attitude that David has. But none of it is in his own strength. It's not arrogance. It's not in his ability and in his strength. It's because it's all, the psalm is all about the Lord. It's because, you know why Satan bring it on? Because the Lord is my light. Bring it on because the Lord is my salvation. Bring it on because the Lord is my fortress. In my stronghold. Doesn't matter what you throw at me. When I run into the Lord who is my stronghold, and then I stay in there, a stronghold, if you look it up, is a fortified place in a high place. Think, we're seated in heavenly places in Christ. Is a fortified place in a high place that is well-stocked and well-equipped. That's the definition of a stronghold. Is well-stocked and well-equipped to withstand any siege. So what David is saying to the enemies, he's saying, no matter what you throw at me, I am in God my stronghold and I can withstand anything you throw at me. I'm well-equipped and I'm well-able to overcome anything that you throw at me. It is an exuberant declaration of faith. And then he says, now in verse 4, look at what he says. We'll finish reading our text. We're going to read down to verse 6. He says, one thing I desired of the Lord, and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. In the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. And in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. And he shall set me high upon a rock. So who's, who's going to set you high? Who's going to deliver you? Who's going to rescue you? Who's going to justify you? Who's going to uh, 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 defend you? He said he is going to do it. So this psalm is not for those who want to solve things in their own strength, and their own wisdom. This is for those who want to trust God to solve things. I trust God to solve things. Do you trust God to solve things? Right? And then he says, 
in verse 6, our last verse, he says, My head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Amen? And so going back to verse 1 and starting at verse 1, actually, give me the slide before that. If you're interested, okay, uh, you can get right now uh, uh, an outline of my sermon. This is totally free, okay? Send me a, a text, not a text, an email, email, okay? You have to email me a free outline at gmail.com. If you send me on your phone, data-enabled phone or tablet, free outline at gmail.com, you're going to get right now an outline. This morning, I woke up, I copied my notes on there, and you're going to get my notes, okay? Uh, I can't get through all of it. I have some amplified verses, other things. I always have more things that I, that I can uh, cover in a sermon. And so if you're interested in that, it's like that. Uh, I got this in my heart. Uh, what was it, last year, Connie? Somewhere last year, I woke up. I said, you know, I dreamt that I should go and get, I, th I believe it was God, you know, get free outline at gmail.com. I, I, I was surprised when nobody had that email. That's my email, free outline at gmail.com. I thought I was going to have to get, you know, free outlet, and, uh, you know, uh, one, two, seven, two, add a number to it, right? It wasn't. Now, it's mine. You can't have it now. It's mine. If you try to get that, you got to add a number to it because <laughs> it's mine. But free outline at gmail.com, and you don't have to say anything in the text. You don't have to put it here. If you want to say hi or say, give me my free stuff, say anything you want. It doesn't matter. But automatically, you'll get uh, the outline. It works really good. Uh, if you log on next week, you get the outline of wherever I'm preaching, whatever I'm preaching. Um, that was a joke. You don't have to. Okay. <laughs> okay, go. Verse 1. But I thought that was a good idea. So here we go. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So look at how David is starting out. David, it's so important that we get in David's mindset to understand how he thought. David was a king after God's own heart. He was a great king. Uh, he walked in love. He overcame a lot of things. He had a crazy man called Saul who was trying to do him in, and Saul was a total maniac. And, and in the end, David, and David was, was not... Uh, a great candidate for being a king. According to man's thinking, he was not a great candidate. Do you remember when uh, the prophet Samuel went to Jesse's house, David's father, to anoint him as king? Jesse didn't think of David. And they paraded before Samuel uh, all the older brothers. They started with Eliab and then the others, and then no, and Samuel said, this is not the one, this is not the one. This is not the one that God has chosen as king. And then they went through all of them, and then Samuel said, well, is there anybody else? And, and, and Jesse said, well, yeah, there, there's that one. He's, he's the youngest one. He's out there, you know. He's an afterthought. He's the youngest, a katan. Even in Hebrew, it sounds like a katan. You're a katan. You know when somebody says you're a katan, they're not calling you something nice. 
Yucatan, Yucatan, you like, you useless last son, you will put you out there in the back of the, watching sheep where you can't do much damage. So, 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 you know, uh, Jesse, David's father didn't have great plans for him. So look at how David started out. David, Samuel didn't believe in him. His father didn't believe in him. His brothers didn't believe in him. King Saul didn't believe in him. The authority didn't believe in him. Do you remember when David says, I'll fight the giant? Saul said, yeah, you can't do it. You're just, you're just a young man and you're not even, you're not even a soldier. You, you're not in the army. You can't do that. And even oh, insult of all insults, even Goliath didn't believe in him, made fun of him. You know, was laughing at him when he said, oh, you know, who are you? You know, what is this? He thought it was a joke that was coming against him. But you know what? God believed in him. <laughs> Amen. And here's the heart of David. And David believed in the God that believed in him. This is not about David believing in himself. This is not positive thing. This is not the power of positive thinking. I mean, it's positive. It's not negative because we win, but it's not the power of positive thinking. This is the power of Bible thinking. And it's not about David's confidence in himself. It's about David's confidence in the Lord, which then gives you confidence in yourself. This is important because it's all about God. And so it's important to, so David started out already handicapped because nobody believed in him. And then at this period in his life, he's running away and he has crazy Saul running against him. He's living this. He's living overcoming anxiety. He's living overcoming fear. He's living overcoming people who want to do him in. He's living it. And he says in the middle of it, he starts to do what he always do because David was a worshiper. He praised God and he begins to magnify God. That's one of the secrets in David's life was the fact that he constantly magnified God. His faith wasn't in principles. It was in God. It was in a person. The foundation of Christianity is a person. There was a time where uh, in, in the camp that I come from, the faith camp, it became more about formulas than it did about God. I don't always have my formulas right, but I have my heart right towards God. And even when my formulas aren't right and I slip up in something, God makes up the difference. Because it's all about relationship. And our faith has to be in a person. Faith has to be in a person for faith to work. Faith is not in a principle. Faith is in a person. Faith is not in steps. Faith is in a person. Amen? And so, and, and you know, it's kind of, I like to illustrate it like this. It's like, you know, the, 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 uh, the, young, the young boy, 12, 13 years old, you know, that's standing on the side of the road waiting for the bus. And, you know, people who are going to the bus stop keep on telling him, you know, the bus stop is not here. It's over there. So the bus is not going to stop here. You have to move over there because that's where the bus stop is. And one person goes by and tells him, the other person, and, and he wouldn't move, he'd just stay there and smile. And then after, you know, the bus comes, so there's people waiting further up at the bus stop. He's waiting there, and to everybody's surprised, the bus stops, picks him up, and then goes to the bus stop. And then when the other people get on, they say, well, how'd you know the bus was going to stop there? He smiled and he said, because my daddy is the bus driver. <laughs> 
You're like that. That's how you have to be with God, right? See, I may not have everything right. I may not always have my confession right. I may not always have my emotions right. But it will work out fine. You know why? Because my daddy is the bus driver. So the time and all that, it's faith in a person. Amen? And, and David had this, had this faith in God. And what he does is he magnifies God. And it's important that you and I do that. It magnify, you know, magnifying glass. What does that do? It makes things bigger. Now, that, you know, some people think that magnifying means exaggerating. It's not. Exaggerating is, is saying something that's not there. When you magnify, when a scientist looks through a magnifying glass or through a microscope, right, and starts to describe, for example, a cell, he's not making anything up. He's describing what's already there. When we magnify God, we describe what's already there, but we make him big and we talk about him and we say, he's my light, he's my fortress. He gives me the strength of a bull. He is my horn. He's the horn of my salvation. He is my, he's my everything. Why? Because I'm making him bigger because the bigger I make him, the smaller the problems become. That David's difficulties came, became nothing compared to how big and powerful God was. Amen? And so, he's my light. He's my salvation. And we don't have to do a whole study on that, on what salvation is. But he says, on whom shall I fear? You can, you can feel the, the attitude that David has. And then he says, the Lord is the strength of my life. That's why he uses the word stronghold. And he says, of whom shall I be afraid? Nobody. And then in verse 2, he goes on to say, and he says in the book, I have a whole bunch of stuff about light and everything, okay, how powerful light is and how powerful God is because light is powerful, but God, but light was created by God. So if light is that powerful, imagine how powerful God is. And light travels really fast, but God travels so fast that it, light travels at 299,792 kilometers per second, per second. God travels so fast that he doesn't even have to travel because he's already there. <laughs> you get that? See, in one second... In one second, light goes seven times around the earth. In one second, I go from here to there. Right? That's nothing to compare to how fast God is. We took the car from Toronto to Windsor to get here. God didn't take the car. He was already here. And he's still there. Go figure that. That's how fast he is. He's so fast, he's everywhere. <laughs> Now, you see, now, put that together, you go, well, yeah, somebody like that can fix any problem I have. That's the idea of magnifying God, right? It's nothing compared to God. Amen? And that's what, and that's what they, now, you know, in the book, I put up a whole bunch of examples and everything else, but that's the essence of it. The essence of it is God is so big and powerful that, you know, any problem I have, he can solve like that. Right? So verse 2, let's go on to verse 2, Psalm 27, 2. And then going a little further down, it says, And when the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. 
Now, I know that we can skip this verse because here in Windsor, you don't have any people who don't like you and you don't have any people problem and you got that all licked. So we can just go on to the next verse here. You know, I thought, when I started out serving God, I thought, one day I'm going to be so spiritual, I'm not going to have problems anymore. Uh, uh, Yeah, that'll be when I get to heaven. And then one day I'll be so good with people that I won't have any problems. I won't have people problems. I'm still waiting for that day, too. And you think about it, right? Could, could, see how faulty that thinking is? Could, is there anybody that was more skilled with people than Jesus was? Is there? Could, could we be more tactful, more loving, and more skilled with people than Jesus was? Could we? And he had people problems. Judas betrayed him. Judas ate dinner with them and then stabbed them in the back. And that's what, that's what, that's what see, that's the, see, and that's what enemies will do. And then they tell you they love you too while they do that. Right? And then, you know, uh, Peter denied him. And, and, and he had people that followed him, but he also had people who were constantly trying to take him out. So it's faulty thinking. So the only solution is this, is not, you know, I will, because that's fantasy. You know, I will get so spiritual that I have no issues and problems. That, that, that is not going to happen. The only thing I can control in life is myself. It's how I can't control other people. I can control how I think, how I react, right? And so David here, there's an escalation. He starts out with anxiety and fear. And there's a distinction between the two words. The two words for fear used in the first verse. One is just general anxiety. The other is like specific fear. Some event that happens that, you know, uh, uh, you, you know if, you're, if, you're, if you're hiking in the Rockies and you run across a hungry grizzly bear, the general anxiety in life that you have will quickly turn to this specific fear. <laughs> well, your heart is pounding and you're out of breath and you go like this. He uses both and he says, you know, no matter what, no matter if it's just general anxiety of life or a specific event that caused me to tremble, New Life Translation translates to tremble. He says, the Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation and I don't fear anything. And then he goes on and he escalates to enemies. And then here it's enemies, it's like individuals, right? And you know, uh, uh, but, but everybody likes you here in, in Windsor and you don't have any, like I said, any issue problems. So this part is not for you. I haven't been serving God for 36 years. I've had, twice I've had two major splits. And you know, uh, one, the, my, my associate came to me and, you know, and, 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 and he split the church. And then I'm sitting across from him and I'm watching him and he has these googly eyes that I don't recognize. It's like he's high on marijuana. I couldn't get it. He thinks he has a revelation. I think you're on drugs. I do. Because I couldn't get him to reason anymore. I taught him. I raised him. I gave him the authority in the church, right? And he goes, and over something stupid, you know, over like, oh, I said, what's going on? And he goes, well, you know, I discovered grace, you know, and now I'm leaving your church because you don't believe in grace. Now, already, I'm saying, he's saying so many goofy things right there. I said, oh, you don't know, I don't believe in grace. Now, I don't know if I'm being, is honesty okay and transparency okay? Because since I'm still in flesh, I don't react like a robot, you know, with loving googly eyes. My first reactions are different. I have to bring my heart and my mind into it. 
So my first thought was, I'll tell you what my first thought, you idiot, you, you stupid, you. You've been serving God with me for 20 years. You haven't understood grace. What's the matter with you? I understood it 36 years ago. I am saved by grace through faith. I have nothing that I have but from God I deserve. It's all by grace. I don't deserve anything. It's by grace through faith. So if you're going to split my church, please do it over something more intelligent than that stupid thought. Now, this is going on in my mind. Now, listen to me. I didn't say it. Look at your neighbor and say, he didn't say it. Okay. Okay. I was thinking it. Now I know all your thoughts all have halos on them. Mine don't yet. Okay. So I'm thinking this. And of course, I'm, I have the Holy Spirit and I'm trained by my wife and I have words of love. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I, have, I have words of love coming out, but I'm thinking this, and I'm thinking at the same time, I'm holding back my hands because I want to strangle him. <laughs> and I tell the truth, then I'm thinking, you know, I got to go and repent before God. And when I talked to God, he kind of felt the same way I did about that. <laughs> I didn't have to repent too much. Jesus did overflow, uh, you know, uh, flip a table and, and did that a couple of times. And also in the book of Revelation, he said to some people, you make me puke. <laughs> well, it's a modern translation, but he said, you know, I wish you were hot or cold. I'm going to spew you out and spew you out of my mouth means I feel like puking. I feel like vomiting. Feeling like vomiting in front of certain people and what they say is a godly feeling. <laughs> I want to set you free. So please, the next person that comes to you and says something bad about Pastor Rick and Kathy, I'm anointing you. You're free to vomit right there. <laughs> Just go, Bleh. you want to know what I think? Bleh. Like that. And then quote them the book of Revelation. Okay. And now I was kidding about the anchovies, but I'm not kidding about this. This is sound theology. Jesus did say, I want to spit you out. That's enough. Over, over nonsense things. You know, and then, and then you know what? And then I did. And then, you know, do you know what happened here? It says, they, that thing came against me to destroy me. But you know what? In the end, it says they stumbled and fell. You see that? But it doesn't say I made them stumble. I didn't make them stumble. I didn't lift one finger or, or one foot to trip them up. I didn't. In fact, it took me a while, but I got to the place where I, read it, where I was saying, I bless him, I love him. In fact, I got to the place where I thought, you know, I really hope that the church does well because at least all this pain, at least you'll bring some people to Jesus and I can see joy in that. I can rejoice over that, right? Do you know what happened? This was three years ago. What happened last year, two years after, his church shut down. It doesn't exist anymore. Most of the people that left came back. Oh, we're sorry we missed it. Yeah, I could have told you that back there, you dodo. But I didn't say that. I, I think it, and then I rebuke it. I take the thought captive, but the thought comes. There is nobody here that can honestly look me in the eye and say that the thought doesn't come. <laughs> right? We take it captive. Right? And I can tell you that when you get to the place where when, when he did fall, I was genuinely sad because I didn't want him to fail. 
I, wanted the, I, I didn't want that mess. I wanted them to, to bring people to Jesus and grow. Amen? And here's the beauty. See, because we walk with God. This is done. Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I know I have those thoughts and everything, but then I realize you're not my problem. My problem is the enemy that's blinding you and twisting you that you're not even reasoning anymore. Right? And so, and so, and so we don't wrestle against people. People are not our problem. And so if we lock into God and praise him and trust him and, and eradicate and keep ourselves, you know, clean on the inside, here's what's going to happen. The, the thing came to make you fall, but instead it makes them fall. Because you can't have that poison in you and, and succeed in life. You just can't. And then the beautiful thing about walking with God is that when they do fall, you don't go, ah, ah I don't, you know, just boom, go like that. You actually, you're actually say, oh, you know, man, man, you know, right? And then let's go on now because the escalation continues. Go on to verse three. And then in verse three, it says, an army encamp against me. My heart will not fear. Do you notice how David is again in your face? He says, in the escalation, anxiety, fear, enemies, and then now we have an army, and an army is not just one person, you know, making fun of you because you come to Windsor and they think you're in a cult or persecuting you. An army is like a large number of organized enemies who are out to, and then he says, and, and, uh, an army, and then he says, and though war may break against me. Notice what he says. In this, this is when he gets like this, in this, I will be confident. I'm not going to doubt God's love. I'm not going to get lost in why this, why that. Understand? I just know that I'm confident that God, I don't even care why, who. I'm just confident that God is going to rescue me. And this is like, you know, the, you can see it, the enemy, the war is like all war. Because it's symbolic. We understand that Goliath, the giant, and armies and everything with the New Testament revelation don't necessarily represent people, but they represent problems, issues, mountains. Jesus called them mountains. These, these are days where, or periods where it seems that all hell is breaking loose, you know. It's like, you know, you wake up and you wake up late, the alarm doesn't go off, you wake up late, you're late for work, you spill milk, you get a flat tire, and then, you know, you go to the doctor. You, you don't have days like that in winter, you know, for a normal checkup, and the doctor says, you know, oops, we, I see a growth, we got to do more tests. That's when you have to look and says, I am confident in God. And then in verse 4, he says, Psalm, Psalm 27, 4, okay? He goes on and he says, one thing I desired of the Lord. And see, this is the heart of the thought and the heart of the book. One thing, see, this is, this is interesting because it's like there's a whole bunch of things going on. And David says, one thing. Anybody say one thing. How many things? See, we usually don't think like that. I think one thing, I'd like to see your, does your prayer list have only one thing? I don't think so. Huh? I need a new car because my car's kind of old, makes funny noises. I need a raise. I haven't raised, had a raise in 10 years. I need, you know, this. I need that. I need a new suit. There's a lot of things I think I need. David says, in all these things going wrong, I only need one thing. This really simplifies it. 
I only need one thing. There's only one thing I need. Only one thing I need. One thing is the only thing that we need in answer to every problem that we may face. What's that one thing? He tells us. He says, to dwell, and one thing I need, one thing I will seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the presence of God. He's saying the only thing that I need in the midst of trouble is the presence of God. That's where the fight is. You know, I made you laugh and I described it, but that was my fight in not wanting to, to strangle the dodo that split my church over nothing, right? My fight was to find God in that. That was my fight. Because that thing was designed to do this. Here's what it's designed to do. It's designed to, that I dream it at night, that I have a knot in my stomach all day, that that's all I think about and that's all I talk about. And you know what happens? That's the battle. The battle wasn't against him. The battle was against this. This thing distracted me so much that I would not find God anymore, that my fellowship with God was, would become somehow hindered and broken. So the battle is maintaining the presence of God. When the doctor says, you know, we find a growth, we got to do more tests, your battle now becomes maintaining the presence of God, maintaining your consciousness, your awareness of the presence of God in that moment when fear is trying to get a hold of you. That's the battle. And David had it right. So he's saying, I'm not going to let anything distract me, drive me away from the presence of God. Nothing, nothing. No fear, no anxiety, no person, no, no, no cluster, no problem. Nothing is going to take away the presence of God in my life and distract me from the presence of God in my life. And that's where the real battle, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we will say that's where the real battle is. Because then I'll start to think about that negative thing all the time, talk about that negative thing all the time. Concentrate on that all the time, and it'll just rob me of joy and peace. And then notice he says, and that's what he's saying, dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Who built the temple? Somebody say out loud to me, who built the temple? Solomon, David's son. Now, here's the thing about this verse, the temple had not yet been built. Ooh. When David wrote this psalm, Solomon had not yet been the, built the temple. So, which temple? Uh, uh, ask, tell your neighbor, which temple? See, uh, chapter 9 is called, which temple? Okay, tell your neighbor, buy the book and you'll find out. <laughs> I would tell you, but I got to go because time is up. I'm not making, this, this is not a selling technique. I'm not a seller. That's the way it is. I, I've been given a time and time is up. And so I can't tell you if you want to find out, you have to get the book and find out. But here's the point. I will, I will give you a hint, okay, and a one-minute answer. Here's why David is the man after God's own heart. And here's why he has the revelation that he had. Because when he says, inquire of the Lord... He's talking about living in the presence of God. Are you listening? Because this is really important. Independent of 
an actual physical temple or a church or a place of worship. He's really living in a New Testament reality. That's why in the book of Acts, when you read it real carefully, it says that in the last days, it will be the tabernacle of David. This is called the tabernacle of David. Tabernacle, look at the words, tabernacle, pavilion, and temple. Tabernacle and pavilion are tents. Here's what David did. Here's what he's saying here is that right in the middle of difficulty and war, I can begin to magnify God and enter in his presence. David had discovered the secret of living in the presence of God 24 hours a day, not talking about a cathedral. See, the, most of the religious world, you know, they still do that. You know, they go, hey, you know, where do you go? To? I'm going to go to Rome. Well, you know, it's fine. You have the Vatican. You can go to Rome, you know to see the paintings, but you don't need to go. It's beautiful art, but you don't need to go to Rome to find God. You don't need to go to Magicor Lourdes to find God. You know, but hey, the word of faith is they say, I got to go to Tulsa. You don't need to go to Tulsa to find God. Pentecostals say, I got to go. You know, they're waiting for Benny Hinn to come to town. <laughs> I have nothing against Benny Hinn. I'm not, he'd be the first one to agree. But you know, I'm saying, why do you want to wait for Benny Hinn to come to town in six months in a stadium to get healed. You have the light in you. You live in the presence of God. Get healed and then go to Benny Hinn's meeting. You'll enjoy it more. You don't need that type of thinking for the presence of God. There's no offense to anybody in that. There's no, you don't need to go on a pilgrimage somewhere to find God. The whole point of David's revelation is, no matter where I am, even in the middle of a battle, if I begin to magnify God and worship God, I enter in a tent, I enter in a pavilion, I enter in the presence of God, and that presence of God hides me from my enemies, protects me, and eventually lifts my head, like verse 6 says, above my enemies. So the chapter is called, heavy, Let God Do the Heavy Lifting. Let God lift you up. All we have to do is find the presence of God. So no matter where you are, the doctor's office, on an airplane with turbulence, I do this. Uh, stuck on a subway under a terrorist attack. That's how the book was born. I was in London in April, traveling from Gatwick to Heathrow, and I was on the Westminster line, and they stopped all the trains, and they said an incident had happened. I didn't know what it was. I opened to Psalm 27. I have several scriptures I go to, you know, by default. That time I went to Psalm 27. I had no idea what was going on. 15, 20 minutes later, they released the trains. I get to the hotel. When I get to the hotel, I walk in the lobby. I see the screens in the hotel, and the screen says, terrorist attack and live now. And I thought, I was right under there. I didn't know. Then I went home and my daughter asked me, she said, Dad, you know, what did you do? What did you, well, how did you react? You were right there. You know, they called me and then we, we hooked up. I, I didn't know. And then I said to her, well, I said, I, I went to, I, I said, I do what I always do. When something is going on that I don't know, I open, I open, this time I open to Psalm 27. I fill my mind and my heart with the word of God. That's what I do. Right? Because fear get a, try to get a hold of me like anybody else. And then, you know, uh, she said, and I said, like, doesn't everybody do that? And Laura said, you know what? She said, Dad, I don't, not everybody does that. Maybe you should teach on it. Well, not only did I end off teaching on it, I wrote a book on it too. <laughs> you know. Huh? 
And this is designed, are you ready? This is designed to work on the go. You don't have to wait till Sunday till you come to church. You don't have to wait for this. You don't have to wait for a big preacher. You don't have to wait for a big prophet. It's right there on the go because it's a, it's a portable tent. It's the portable presence of God that you and I need to train ourselves to live in all the time. <clears throat> Amen. And David had that revelation. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for these wonderful, wonderful people, saints of God, who love you, love your word, love your church, love your work. I thank you that they paid attention and were so respectful this morning, Father, to your word. I pray, Father, that you help us. Revelation, Lord, revelation, light in our hearts and in our minds, to understand that we live in your presence 24 hours a day, to be conscious of it, and most of all, to learn to draw from it whenever we need it, wherever we need it, on the go, in real life, as we live each day of our life. Help us to understand that secret that David understood. That anytime we praise you, you dwell in the praises of your people. Anytime we praise you, we enthrone, we build a throne upon which you sit. And we come under your presence into a tent, into a tabernacle, into a temple. Where you hide us and you protect us. And you make us overcome. Help us to live in that reality, Father, every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Mato. Thank you, Mato. Wow.